you guys in the balcony feel like you're properly greeted? Is that, are you all greeted out up there? Yes, there, there you go. We love you down, we people down here, we love you. Uh, the Wagners are watching online, so let's say hi to them. Hi. hi. Along with Mike Brewer. Hi, Mike. All right, there you go. And my grandson is watching online, as a matter of fact. Gina, I got a little picture of him. It's the cutest thing in the world, but I think he probably barfed on the screen by now. But anyway, uh, before we get into our study this morning, just one thing I wanted to mention, and that is uh, at our Apples of Gold Women's Ministry on Monday, we revealed that we're uh, starting the Secret Sister program again. A lot of you gals participated in that last year. Uh, and what it is is um, you sign up, we pair you up with another lady, and then uh, keeping your identity a secret, uh, you minister uh, to uh, your secret sister throughout the year, sending words of encouragement and different things like that. All the stuff is on here that you need to know. And it's really, it can be a real super neat blessing uh, to know that somebody's praying for you and thinking about you. And it's always fun. It's like a mystery, you know, trying to figure out who your secret sister is and trying to keep your identity secret. It's just a real blast. Uh, and so uh, forms are in the bookstore. Uh, so if you gals are interested in doing that, get over there. There's two papers. One explains the situation and one is the uh, actual registration. So if you do this in the bookstore, get both uh, papers, one from each stack. Amen. All right, let's open our Bible this morning and let's open it to 1 Samuel chapter 27. And that's going to be our text, verses 1 through 12. 1 Samuel 27, 1 through 12. The topic we'll find there is this, in a fit of spiritual fatigue, David decides to escape his many trials by moving to the Philistine city of Ziklag, the title of our message, He Ziklagged When He Should Have Zagged. So let's have a word of prayer. You got that, did you? Anyway, let's pray. Father, thanks so much for the opportunity to be together here as a body of believers. And Lord, as always, uh, we suspect that one or more individuals may not know you. They may not have come to you, Lord, and realized that you died for them on the cross and rose from the dead. They may still be in their sins, wondering, Lord, how they're ever going to get to heaven. And I pray that as we talk this morning about David and his situation uh, and the things that he was struggling with and suffering through, uh, that behind it all we would understand that you are the Lord, and that you are risen from the dead and uh, high and lifted up, and that you are here to save. And Lord, if there would be anyone that needs to know you, that they would come to know you, that they'd be drawn miraculously, spiritually, Lord, by your Holy Spirit, who is in this place to teach us and to reveal Jesus to us. And I pray, Lord, that uh, though we're going to talk about many different things and subjects, that everything would really relate to you, it would be about you, it would reveal you, that we have a clearer picture of who you are and what you've done when we leave this place. We thank you and we praise you. We do it in Jesus' name. And those who agreed said, Amen. I want to talk about chronic fatigue this morning, but not the physical kind. There is a chronic spiritual fatigue that can affect your walk with the Lord. It occurs when you lose sight of the Lord in the midst of your circumstances. You're especially susceptible to it if you find yourself in a long-term trial in which no change for the better can be seen on the horizon. David is the textbook case for chronic spiritual fatigue. Let's review his circumstances. Most of you have been here for these studies up to this point, but let's just give a quick summary of what David was going through. 
For several years, he had been pursued by King Saul, whose intent was to murder him. One of David's early decisions to deceive the priest about his mission had led to the slaughter of 85 priests, their families and their livestock. I'm sure that weighed heavy on his heart. In his exile, Saul had given David's wife, Michael, to another man to marry. David's band of 600 men were described as being distressed, in debt, and discontented. Obviously not a very easy group to lead. As their leader, however, it was up to him to provide for them and their families, even though he was considered a criminal among the Jewish people, and they could never really find a place to settle down. On top of all that, David's spiritual advisor and the spiritual leader of Israel, the prophet Samuel, had died. One day, David looked square in the face of his circumstances and he uttered the words you read in verse one. Now I shall perish someday by the hand of Saul. There's nothing better for me than I should speedily escape to the land of the Philistines. And Saul will despair of me to seek me anymore in any part of Israel. So I shall escape out of his hand. He was feeling the pressure of his circumstances. The long term nature of his trouble with no end in sight had weighed him down. He was fatigued, spiritually fatigued, and he wanted desperately to do something about it. There's a notable absence in David's analysis. He doesn't mention the Lord. David succumbed to spiritual fatigue by getting his eyes onto his circumstances and off of his Lord. Spiritual fatigue is real, and as we'll see, it can be devastating to your walk. I'll organize my thoughts around two questions. Number one, do your circumstances have you suffering from chronic spiritual fatigue? Or number two, do your circumstances have you seeking Jesus Christ's spiritual strength? First of all, in verses 1 through 12 in our chapter, we'll ask, do your circumstances have you suffering from chronic spiritual fatigue? David had been anointed by Samuel to be the next king of Israel. He had slain the Philistine giant and champion Goliath. As a commander in King Saul's army, he had won notable victories. A hit song was written about him. The chorus was, Saul has slain his thousands, but David his tens of thousands. King Saul's son, Jonathan, was David's close friend and mentor, even though he was next in line to be king. On more than one occasion, God had miraculously delivered David out of the hand of Saul. Most recently, David had his second opportunity to kill Saul, but instead stood on the promises of God and refused to raise his hand against God's anointed king. Despite the unconditional promises from God, the miraculous protection of God and the continual provision of God, David got his eyes on his circumstances and he succumbed to spiritual fatigue. And so read verse one again. David said in his heart, now I shall perish someday by the hand of Saul. There is nothing better for me than I should speedily escape to the land of the Philistines. And Saul will despair of me to seek me anymore in any part of Israel. So I shall escape out of his hand. Have you ever felt like this? Like you just couldn't take it anymore? I believe that you have or you will. It's what you do about it. It's what you do next that matters. Instead of taking your stand with the Lord and enduring your circumstances, you might determine your own way of escape. But when you do, it begins a terrible downward spiral that can't be good. 
Outwardly, it can seem as though you've made a great decision. Look at the next three verses. Verse 2. Then David arose and went over with the 600 men who were with him to Ashish, the son of Maok, king of Gath. So David dwelt with Ashish at Gath, uh, he and his men, each man with his household. And David and his two wives, Ahinoam, the Jezreelitess, and Abigail, the Carmelitess, uh, Nabal's, Nabal's widow. And it was told Saul that David had fled to Gath, so he sought him no more. Wow, it was just that easy. After years of struggle, all of a sudden, Saul quit pursuing David when he went down into Philistine territory. He and his men settled down in a real town. They weren't living in caves uh, anymore. The mention of household and family gives you an impression that everyone was enjoying a rich, full life in this beautiful Philistine city. And so just like that, David gets up one morning and he says, I'm tired of this. I don't want to, you know, live this way in Israel anymore. And he moves to Gath and everything falls into place. I'm sure everybody was really happy. I see this all the time in marriages. One spouse walks away and suddenly everything gets better for them. Wow, all these burdens are lifted. I, well, there's no arguments anymore. There's no problems anymore. There's no stress. There's no tension. They conclude, this must be God's will that I trashed my marriage, that I walked away from my spouse without any grounds. It's obviously God's will because look how happy I am right now. It's not. Now, let's talk about the city of Gath for a minute. It was one of the five chief cities of the Philistines who you know are the mortal enemies of Israel. It was at Gath the Philistines once held the Ark of the Covenant. They had captured it and they kept it there. It was the hometown of Goliath. And a few years earlier, David had tried hiding out in Gath only to escape by pretending that he was insane because they wanted to kill him. I submit to you that it was impossible that living in Gath was God's will for David. It should never even have been considered. And so David gets up and he says, essentially, I can't take it anymore. I'm tired of this. I'm going to move to Gath. And that could not, under anybody's understanding of things, be God's will. Spiritual fatigue often begins with a decision that should never even have been considered. As we mentioned, walking away from a marriage with no biblical grounds for doing so or marrying a non-believer. It's sad. It's one of the hardest things I have to do when a young couple comes in and maybe sometimes not so young and they're, they're in love with each other. And, and, and in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, man, I'm just hoping because I don't know this guy or I don't know this gal. And you ask all the, you know, well, great, where'd you guys meet? You know, uh, it's not the church. Okay, well, man, people meet outside of church. That's fine. Uh, uh, you know, where do you go to church? Well, I haven't been to church for a long time. Well, okay, a lot of Christians haven't been to church for a long time. Where'd you used to go to church? Well, I didn't used to go to church for a long time either. I don't know what that means, but, you know, okay, well, uh, okay, uh, where's your family? Go? Where have you ever gone to church? You know, well, church has never been that important to me. Okay, uh, uh, what do you do with the Lord Jesus Christ? Oh, I believe in God. Oh, okay, now we're, okay, there's a positive. You believe that Jesus is God. Well, you know, I'm still not really convinced about that. Do you want to get saved? No, I don't see any reason to get saved. I'm sorry, I can't marry you. What? What? 
You monster. And, uh, you know, it just, well, the Bible says you'd be unequally yoked with an unbeliever. Believe me, I know you don't believe me now, but I'm saving you so, so much pain. Because this is a decision that just can't be considered. It, 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 it's Gath. You want to move into Gath. And only bad things can happen in Gath if you're a believer. There are other decisions that are more subtle, but with biblical insight, you can see that they really are not the Lord's will. It's easier to see in other people. You're probably thinking of other people. You think, oh yeah, when so-and-so told me that, I thought, man, how can that be God's will? That seems weird. Going there or being this person or you know, this job or that situation. Harder to see in our own lives, of course. Verse 5 then David said to Ashish, if I have now found favor in your eyes, then uh, let them give me a place in some town in the country that I may dwell there. For why should your servant dwell in the royal city with you? So Ashish gave him Ziklag that day. Therefore, Ziklag has belonged to the kings of Judah to this day. Wow, again, David is given his own Philistine city. His plan to escape his trouble seems to be prospering him more and more. In chapter 30, however, David is going to experience a crushing defeat at Ziklag. Everything he has and everything his men have is taken away from them in a raid. If he thought his circumstances were bleak now, just wait a couple of chapters. Well, we really don't know where a certain decision will lead us, do we? Which is why we need to seek the Lord at all times. He knows the way we ought to take. Enduring certain circumstances will bring us to an expected spiritual end. The escape route after an initial release of pressure often leads to greater, more severe trouble. Outward prosperity is not by itself a sign you've made a good decision. We are to be more concerned with character development than we are with things like cash flow. Verse 7, now the time that David dwelt in the country of the Philistines was one full year and four months. This was undoubtedly the longest time David had spent in a single location in many years. It indicates that he was able to settle in, to have a regular routine, to get comfortable, to, to make a, a home and a life for himself and for his men. Is the Christian life about settling down in a comfortable setting? Is that its ultimate goal? Well, you, you know that it's not. It's about serving the Lord wherever you've been sent. Now, you know, obviously we're not about making ourselves uncomfortable on purpose. But I think you see what I'm talking about. Uh, David just, he settled into this Philistine town in enemy territory and he was comfortable for the first time. He was happy for the first time. He had everything going on in his family and his men were happy and they went out and checked the mail each day, you know, and that kind of thing. And it was just all very, you know, suburban. But he, he wasn't where he was supposed to be. This can't work out in the long run. And we need to be careful because, I, I mean, I like to be comfort. I, comforted. I like comfort food. Don't you like comfort food? There's a whole category of food called comfort food. For me, it's spaghetti. Actually, linguine. But that's just me. And, and you like to just be comforted and sit down and be a couch potato and just, you know, you just don't want anything ever to get shook up in your house or your life. And you have your routine and it's just, you know. And there's nothing necessarily wrong with that unless you quit hearing from the Lord, unless you're being comfortable in enemy territory, unless you've made a previous decision to move to Gath and you're comfortable in Gath where you should have never been in the first place. And so that's not the goal of our life. The goal is to get up and ask the Lord, Lord, where do you want me? Where do you want me to go? 
Here am I, Lord, send me. And for the most of us, he's going to send you right where he always sends you. To work in Hanford or Lemoore or Riverdale or some other jewel of a city like that. To school, you know, he's going to send you where he's going to send you. Uh, but we need to be open to the fact. I think sometimes people just, you know, I, I suggest things to people. And I say, well, no, I can't do that because this is here. Oh, wow. Did, does the gospel guarantee you that you're going to be close to your family, that you're going to all, you know, have a retirement, that all these things that you have planned are going to work out? I'm not saying you have to throw those things away. They probably will work out, but we just need to be open to the leading of the Lord. Uh, but, you know, especially not making poor decisions that leave us in the wrong place. And so, verse 8, now this gets interesting. David and his men went up and raided the Jeshurites, the Gerzites, and the Amalekites, for those nations were inhabitants of the land from of old, as you go to Shur, even as far as the land of Egypt. Wow! For the third time, David and his army went out and made mincemeat out of certain enemies of Israel. In other words, we would say he continued to have what seemed to be a ministry of serving the Lord. He was killing the Lord's enemies. You'd think a person in spiritual fatigue would quit serving the Lord entirely. When I first thought about this, I thought, well, yeah, you know, a person that looks and says, I'm tired, I can't take it anymore. They're going to walk away from service. They're going to walk away from the church. They're going to walk away from the Lord. But that's not true. Quite the opposite. They pour themselves into something in order to prove that their decision to escape their circumstances was really a good one, a godly one, because now they've got this fantastic ministry going on. But they're most likely doing it in what we would call the energy of the flesh. It's not spirit-led because it's coming from a wrong place. Listen to what David had to do in order to convince Ashish that he was serving him. Verse 9, whenever David attacked the, uh, the land, he left neither man nor woman alive, but took away the sheep, the oxen, the donkeys, the camels, and the apparel, and returned and came to Ashish. Then Ashish would say, where have you made a raid today? And David would lie and say against the southern area of Judah or against the southern area of the Jeremilites or against the southern area of the Kenites. David would save neither man nor woman alive to bring news to Gath, saying, lest they should inform on us, saying, thus David did. And thus was his behavior. All the time he dwelt in the country of the Philistines. And so David had to lie about where he had raided. His ministry was misguided. It was misdirected by having succumbed to his fatigue. For all his activity, he was not doing what the Lord wanted him to be doing. He was in the wrong place doing the wrong thing. Worse than that, he killed everyone, even women and its implied children in the process. Now, yes, it was okay to kill the enemies of Israel, to kill women and children and to destroy everyone. You see that in the conquest of the land in the book of Joshua. But it was also okay to take them in to the life of Israel and to spare them and to show mercy on them. But David was in an odd position where he had to keep up this charade and so he slaughtered innocent women and children. The ministry that is performed by a person who is in full-blown spiritual fatigue, who has chosen to escape rather than endure his or her circumstances, may appear busy and successful on the surface, but it ultimately kills people. 
not literally, but in a spiritual sense. It's the kind of ministry that wields the sword of God's word in a fleshly manner, wounding people rather than healing them. You know, you can do a lot of damage ministering to people if you're not doing it uh, from a place of grace and mercy, if it's a place that the Lord hasn't called you to. I'm not talking about being an expert or knowing what to say to people all the time and that you're never going to make a mistake because then nobody would ever minister to anybody at any level. But what I'm talking about is a person who sets themselves up as some kind of a, in some kind of a ministry because they're really running from something else. They're hiding something else. They're, they're in the flesh. They're ministering from a place where they shouldn't be. They can do ultimately nothing but hurt other people because of the hypocrisy of their lives. Verse 12, So Ashish believed David saying, He's made his people Israel utterly abhor him. Therefore, he will be my servant forever. You almost think there should be a verse 13 that says, And they all lived happily ever after. Spiritual fatigue is an interesting ailment in that you can be suffering from it and actually think that your life is in a golden place. You know, however, in your heart that David was blowing it. He ought to have endured. In verse 1, didn't you say to yourself, David, no, no, don't. Don't you wish you had been there? You know, have you ever wish you could transport back in time? Not me. But anyway, maybe you have, you know. But let's, you transfer. That's one of those verses you're reading and seeing. I want to get into the time machine right now, just as David is saying that and say, David, I've read chapter 30. You don't want to do this. Seek the Lord. This is going to turn out badly for you. Hang in there. Trust the promises of God. Trust the provision of God. Trust the protection of God. You've got all this great stuff going on. You want to change his mind. You and I know that he ought to have endured his suffering. That God was going to keep his word to him and do great and mighty things. Endurance is to be highly valued in the Christian life. Listen to these verses that encourage you to endure your circumstances. 2 Timothy 2.3 Therefore, endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Uh, 2 Timothy 2.12 If we endure, we shall reign with Him. James 5.11 Indeed, we count them blessed who endure. You've heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't relish being compared to Job. Anytime I say something and people start talking about Job, that's it. Uh, you know, you're toast. But in him, I see the blessing of endurance. God knows you and he knows your circumstances. He's made you promises. He's afforded you protection. He's given you provision. You're to endure unless you're absolutely spiritually sure that God has released you to move on. Endure unless you are absolutely spiritually sure that the way of escape is from the Lord. Now, we all feel from time to time that we can't go on another day in our particular circumstances. Is there a way to avoid falling into spiritual fatigue in the first place? Well, we're going to look ahead to chapter 30 and ask, do your circumstances have you seeking Jesus Christ's spiritual strength? The next several chapters go back and forth telling the story of David's stay at Ziklag. We'll look at them, Lord willing, in subsequent weeks. For now, let me summarize what is going to happen to David. In chapter 28, the Philistines decide to go to war against Saul and Israel. That's what they did seasonally. It's like we have seasons. They say, hey, it's the season for war. Let's go out against Saul. Ashish tells David that he is going to come with him 
and fight against Israel. Then in chapter 29, David goes with Ashish, but when the Philistine armies muster, the other Philistine lords refuse to allow David to fight with them. They suspect that he will turn on them. Seeing he was a traitor to his own people, they assume he will betray them as well. Then in chapter 30, David and his fighting men return to Ziklag, having been rejected as uh, a fighting force. And there they find that in their absence, the Amalekites have raided the city, burned it with fire, and carried off captive all of their wives and children. Which brings us to a pivotal verse, verse 6 of chapter 30. One that does express how we counter the tendency towards spiritual fatigue. 1 Samuel 30, verse 6. Now David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him, because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and his daughters. David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Remember the list of circumstances that led David to ponder a way of escape rather than a way to endure? This latest episode was worse than all of them combined. He had lost everything and he caused his men to lose everything. The people closest to him wanted to kill him by stoning him to death. How would he escape this time? He wouldn't. He would endure. But David... Meaning, despite all outward circumstances to the contrary, David looked to the Lord to strengthen him in the midst of them. The result will be that the people follow him. They retrieve everything that was taken. And David gets back on track in his walk with the Lord just prior to Saul's death on the battlefield and David's ascent to the throne. I like it when things are simple, don't you? Everything I've been saying can be simply understood by putting two verses next to one another. Verse 1 of chapter 27 and this verse, verse 6 of chapter 30. Both of them reflect David's thinking at a time when circumstances were overwhelming him. Let's read verse 1 of 27 again. I'll read it to you. David said in his heart, now I shall perish someday by the hand of Saul. There's nothing better for me than I should speedily escape to the land of the Philistines. Saul will despair of me to seek me anymore in any part of Israel. So I shall escape out of his hand. And then chapter 30, verse 6. Now David was greatly distressed for the people spoke of stoning him because of the soul of the people was grieved. Every man for his sons and his daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. In chapter 27, David talked only to himself. In chapter 30, he talked to the Lord. Do your circumstances have you talking to yourself about how hard they are and how much you want to escape them? I have to admit I find myself doing this. I, I talk to myself. Sometimes my lips move. Sometimes I utter words. And then I look up to see my neighbors. Wondering what I'm saying. And I think, well, maybe they think I'm praying. Maybe they think I'm a lot more spiritual than I am. They don't know that I've just said, I just, Lord, I, you know, I can't take this anymore. Or do your circumstances have you talking to the Lord, seeking His strength to endure them? And I mean really talking to Him from a place of submission to His will, whatever that might be. Jesus Christ once was in circumstances He would rather have escaped. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he asked his father if it were possible to take the suffering of the cross away. It wasn't possible, not if he wanted to 
die for the sins of the world and offer himself a sacrifice for the sins of all men everywhere for all time. Wasn't possible. And so your Lord said to our father, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And then the scripture says he endured the cross, despising its shame. And he did it for your sake and for my sake. Let's look to the Lord to endure hardship as good soldiers of Jesus Christ. You're you're in or you're going to be in in the future. One or more situations where you just get up one day or you're up one night and you say, I can't take it anymore. And you might think you're talking to the Lord. You might throw his name in there, but you're really talking to yourself. You're throwing in the towel. You're saying this is too much. I, I will not submit to this anymore. Not this marriage, not this job, not this church, not this school, not this relationship, not this whatever. I'm not going to do it anymore. I'm going to find a way of escape. In fact, I've been thinking about it for a while now. I've got plan A, I've got plan B. You've thought about it so long that you've uh, your conscience is kind of worn down at the beginning. Your conscience, your biblically trained conscience says, hey, this, this is gaff. You can't go there. You can't go to this other relationship. You can't go to this other place. That's, that's like gaff. That's enemy territory. What are you talking about? But if you keep talking to yourself enough, you'll convince yourself it's good. And then you'll make the move. You'll, you'll make a baby step in that direction. And things get so much better because the devil has just been waiting for you to go there. He's got a welcoming committee for you in Gath. He's got banners to put up and parties to throw for you when you get there. Because he knows the downward spiral that you've begun. We're all going to go through that from time to time where we're talking to ourselves. Instead, we need to endure. And let's endure until we hear the trumpet sound and the Lord takes us home. Some of us, some of you, you're in lifetime trials with disease or illness or something like that, uh, barring God's healing, you're never going to be out of the trouble that you're in. There's a, a chronic fatigue that sets in in that kind of a situation. And it's not easy, but it's, it, you're more prone to want to throw in the towel and, and take some other way out. But let's not grow weary in our doing good, as the Bible says, knowing that in due season... We will be rewarded by the Lord if we endure and do not lose heart. A couple of Wednesdays ago, we did a special message on prayer. We talked about a guy by the name of Epaphras, who is the only one in the scripture who's described as laboring in prayer. And one of the interesting things about him that I'm remembering right now is that he prayed for the maturing of the saints. I'm sure he prayed for people to be helped and to be healed and to have their rent paid and, you know, all of the other things that we pray about that are good. But his prayer was to look at their circumstances and think, these are from God. This is divine. God is blessing you in some way. He wants to teach you something. I'm going to pray that you would mature. We would say this morning, endure the circumstances that you are in because God is interested in developing character. He's interested in bringing value out of your life, not just getting you out. One of the things, and I say this reverently, that bothers me about God is that He could get us out of any circumstance that we find ourselves, any illness He can cure, He can heal, any financial. I could go out to my mailbox, I could go out to the mailbox right now and find a million dollars that's stuffed in there. Don't run out there, I'm pretty sure it's, I checked this morning. 
Unless somebody stopped by. But you know, you know what I mean. God, just like you've been in trials before and you wait and all of a sudden they're gone. It's done. You're healed. Something happens and it's a miracle. But if that doesn't happen, then we need to talk to the Lord and say, Lord, mature me, strengthen me, give me what I need to endure this. I want badly to escape. But I know that my plans are not your plans and they can only lead me to Ziklag. They can only lead to a greater devastation after a brief period of thinking that I'm doing well. It's kind of like, I don't know what this has to do with anything, but it reminds me of the Great Tribulation in the future where for a, for a while it might seem that peace has come to the earth. The Antichrist has made a peace treaty and everybody's happy. And then for the last three and a half years, you can't imagine what hell breaks loose on the earth. That's always the way it is with the devil. There's a, there's a brief respite when you go into his territory. It's like, hey, welcome. We love you. You know, here, you're going to feel uh, you know, some joy for a while, some release from the pressure. Man, do I have a plan for you, and it's not a good one. You're going to crash so hard at the other end of this thing that you're going to wish you were never born. And so let's just endure. If you're in a situation like that right now, talk to the Lord. Quit talking to yourself. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you. We appreciate the life of David so much because he's just so real. The things that he went through are things we go through day by day. We're your kids, Lord, and we want to learn from him how much you love us and care for us. Lord, I especially pray for those of us who are going through long-term trials where our circumstances are just grinding on us and crushing us, that we would look to you still and know, Lord, that if we're to remain fugitives and pilgrims going from cave to cave, uh, that that's your will, Lord, and you'll be there with us. Better living like that with you than in some Philistine city without you. Have your way in each of our lives, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name.